Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life. My name is Adam McKeldry. I serve here as the associate pastor. If you're joining us online, so glad you could be with us here today, too. Uh, I just want to say hi to mom and dad. Uh, I know you guys will be watching a little later and ask mom a question Mom, is this the shirt that you were talking about? Uh, I guess that warrants a little explanation. So my parents were over at at Easter, and we're sitting around playing a game. And my mom goes, you know, the other day you wore a shirt, and it was really ugly. I was like, Mom, how dare you call my fashion sense into question? And then I remembered, you raised me. You know my fashion sense. So I went and grabbed the computer, and I'm like, jump onto YouTube to our real-life channel. And I'm like, is it this one? Was it this one? Was it this one? No, no, no. And so I have no idea. So mom, let me know. Is this the one? And I'll stop wearing it. All right. Anyways, let's stop talking about a 41-year-old man who still needs advice from his mom on how to dress. And let's talk about the Bible. If you guys are new with us, if you're just joining us, um, we're working through a series where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we are just taking time to see what Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to this church that he planted in the city of Corinth, which is in the country of Greece. And so far what we've done is we we got to be uh, introduced to Paul and who he is and got to see a little bit about what his ministry was like leading up to this point in Corinth before he spent a year and a half with these guys. We talked a little bit about what the city is like. And last week, we dived into this letter. And one of the things that we talked about or saw was that this church started to have divisions within them. They started to argue and quarrel. And it was all based off of who they preferred as a teacher. It was all personality-driven. It was a popularity contest. And one of the things that I, I challenged us all with last week was to start looking within ourselves, start Start identifying the different messengers, or like I referred to it last week, the voices that we are allowing to speak into our heads and into our hearts, and start figuring out which ones are the negative ones, which ones are the loudest ones that are drowning out the voice of God, and start to cut those out of our lives so that we can hear his voice more clearly. And I hope that as you guys talked about that in your life groups this week or you thought about it throughout the period, this last week, that you started to see and notice those things in your life that were drowning out the voice of God. Today we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in the book of Corinthians in Paul's letter because he's not done making his point. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Or if you have your smart device and you want to go to your favorite Bible app. Side note, if you don't own a Bible, come see one of us staff members. We have Bibles that we would love to give to you. If you don't know what is a good Bible app to put on your smart device to read the text, ask one of us. We can give you a a recommendation. All right, let's go. 1 Corinthians 
We are going to start back in verse 17 where we left off last week. Here's Paul. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. Paul is pointing back to, hey guys, you were letting yourself be drawn to people. You were letting yourself be drawn to the messenger, and you forgot what the message was. You're forgetting that, and you're forgetting that God does not work in the same way that we do. His mind is not the same as ours. He made it so that people would not know him through our own wisdom, so that the things that seemed foolish to us would be the way that we get to know him. So I have a couple of questions that I want us to address today. First is, why is the message of the cross foolishness to the perishing? And why is it the power of God to those who are saved? I want to address that second question first. Because I think that in in order us to understand why the cross, the message of the cross, is the power of God to those being saved, we first must know what the message of the cross is. And as I see it, as as I have walked through this journey of faith with God, I have learned a lot about what this message of of the cross is. I had a rudimentary understanding of what it was when I was young, but as I have grown and more time I spend in the the word and the more time I spend with people, my my knowledge and my understanding of what this message is has, has just deepened and widened. One of the things that I think the message of the cross communicates to us is that the, the cross is about a willingness to sacrifice. In John chapter 10, Jesus is interacting with some, some Pharisees and he's telling them a story about, about sheep and the sheep that are in his pen and, and the ones that are not. And he, and he says, I am the good shepherd to these sheep. I love these sheep well. These sheep know my voice when they hear it. 
and I will lay down my life for those sheep. And I will do it willingly. Nobody makes me do it. And then a little bit later on in John's gospel, in chapter 15, he says, no greater love has anyone than those who lay down their life for their friends. And that is exactly what he ended up doing. He did not choose to run from the, from the Romans. He did not choose to, to bow up and, and get his guys to attack those who were trying to arrest him. He willingly went with them. He did not choose to speak up in his defense during his trial. He did not choose to call down legions of heavenly hosts to take him up off the cross. He chose to willingly lay his life down for us, his friends. And I think that that is the power of God. You cannot convince me that when one of us willingly sacrifices our own desires, our own wants in our lives, sometimes up to our own life itself, that that is not the power of God being used and being evident. Another thing that I think about when I think about the message of the cross is restoration. Now, we just went through a five or six week sermon series leading up to Easter where we talked specifically about restoration. And we looked at all of the major covenants within the text and how they were pointing us. It was God pointing us back to a restored relationship with him to get back to a place where he intended us to be in the fir- from the very beginning in restored relationship with him and restored relationship with one another. This last week I... I had a chance to visit with a friend of mine that I, I got to meet a couple of years ago. And the circumstances of our, our meeting were not great for him. And I, ta- I asked him, and I got his permission to share a little bit of his story with you guys today. But a couple of years ago, he sat down with me and he said, Adam, I don't know what to do. So I, got, I had an affair on my wife. It was a prolonged affair. But I think... I think I'm okay, and I think God is telling me I don't have to tell her. I thought, okay, well, let's pray about that. Because I know our God is a God of restoration, and you cannot be restored on the basis of a lie. And God worked in his heart, and within the, within the week, he confessed to his wife what had happened. And it goes without saying that this destroyed his wife. It destroyed their family. And their relationship could have ended up where so many others do in this situation. In divorce, into kids having to be shared, 
into arguments for the rest of their life about how to raise kids and all that stuff. And these consequences did not just affect his immediate family. They were ripple effects. It, it went into his, his in-laws, too. Like his, he had a great relationship with his in-laws, and it totally decimated that. But the power of God is restoration. And the last two years, he has been working long and hard and to restore his relationship with his wife and his kids and his family. And God has been doing that. God has been restoring that relationship to something that it wasn't even before this happened. And he was, all along the way, he was like, he was very concerned. He's like, I don't know that my in-laws will ever look at me the same. I don't think that they will ever accept me anymore. But this week, as we are sitting down having coffee, he said, Adam, I, I don't know what's going on, but we were at my in-laws and it just felt like it was restored. Relationship had been restored. I didn't feel condescending looks from my mother-in-law. She saw me as her son again. And that is because the message of the cross is restoration, and there is power in that. Another thing I think about when I think about the message of the cross is inclusion. We are all invited into the family of God. We are all invited to God's banquet table. Last week I said, you know, diversity does not equal disunity. And that is true in the family of God. Diversity does not equal disunity because we are all his children. And it's through his power and his spirit that we're able to be unified. The message of the cross communicates so many other things. Hope, love, forgiveness, redemption. I could, I could, we could spend the rest of our time today just talking about what the message of the cross is to each one of us, what it has done in all of our lives. But I want to go back to the other piece of this. Why is this message foolishness to the perishing? Because it's kind of, it, it puzzles me. Aren't these things that we all deep down really desire to have in our lives? Forgiveness, redemption, restoration of relationships, grace, mercy, and love. So what is going on? Why in the world would it be foolishness to the perishing? I think Paul is hinting for us what it is. He, he says to the Jews it's a stumbling block and to Greeks it's, it's foolishness. And I think it points directly to the cross itself. 
Now think about this. These are real people in a real time, in a real place, in the first century uh, of the common era. The cross was a very real thing. It was, it was the method that the Romans had perfected to humiliate and slowly kill people publicly. And crucifixion, which is the term given for an execution done on a cross, had been going on for centuries. Like it start, You can trace it all the way back to the Persian Empire, and Alexander the Great was the one who saw them using it and brought it to Greece, and it just kind of exploded from there. But it was always used, always used to send a message. And it was used for specific people. Now these are Greeks and Romans that Paul is writing to. And it wasn't that long ago in their history, about 150 years, that there was an uprising within some slaves. And these slaves built an army of slaves and they fought back against Rome. And they fought hard and they were winning. And they were making ground. But then eventually, Rome decimated them. Killed their leaders. Captured thousands. And you know what they did with those thousands? They put them on a cross. They lined the main highway that came out of Rome and went to another main city with thousands of people crucified. And they left them there for days because it was the practice to just leave the bodies on the cross for wild animals and birds to come and to to nibble on. And Rome was sending a message to all the other slaves in the empire. This is what happens if you rebel against us. You are going to die a terrible, humiliating death. So no wonder, no wonder these people look at the cross and the message of the cross and just see foolishness. Like this, how can this thing be a symbol of love and forgiveness and and willing sacrifice? How in the world are we supposed to accept that? Because this is a Roman city and it is Roman people and they are in a culture where everything is about power and influence, status, a place where the mighty were always right. So it made no logical sense. No sense why this would be the power of God. But it makes sense to us because this is exactly what God's plan was. Because his foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and his weakness is stronger than human strength is what Paul tells us. Now this section of text has been taking up a lot of space in my mind, the limited space that I have left. And I've just been like, God, what is, what is going on here? And it, like, how does this 
translate to us in our real time and our real space. Because we are still faced with the same things. Like foolishness, the message of the cross today is still foolishness to those who are perishing. And I'm like, why? What is it that is still foolish to those who are not following Jesus Christ? Is it still about education? Because that was a big thing back in the, in the beginning. Like, they all, everybody thought it was uh, a sect uh, for uneducated people. I, I know I've heard people say before, like, well, you know, Jesus is just a crutch. Like, so, I don't know, maybe that's part of it. But I think it's just a small part. I think that one of the primary reasons for this message still being foolishness is us. It's us. I remember a quote that I heard for the first time back in the mid-90s when I was listening to DC Talk. And it's a song, it's called, What If I Stumble? And the quote is from an author, his name is Brennan Manning. And I'm just going to read this for you guys. And this this is what the quote is. You've probably heard it or seen it in a hundred sermons since then. But let me just share it with you guys. It says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now we could probably reword that for us today. Something like Christians who acknowledge Jesus by their church attendance or their faith-themed tattoos or their profile description and then jump onto social media or write a blog post or jump into a, a comment thread and deny him by their words and their actions. That is what unbelieving people simply find unbelievable. Did you guys know that just five years ago, In 2016, over 70% of America identified as a Christian. 70%. I find that number mind-blowing. Because if there were over 70% of Americans who truly knew and understood and believed in this message of the cross... How could we possibly be in the state that we are in today? I think it's because we're not much different than what the Corinthians are. We too are influenced by the pursuit of power and status. Fighting over things as trivial as who our favorite preacher is. And we start believing that might most certainly does equal right. 
And when we are doing this, what we're doing is we're showing the world that Jesus doesn't really offer much more than what they can get from anywhere else. We show the world that by taking on the name of, of God and, and following him is not any different than identifying yourself as a Seahawks fan who in the rough times can just take off that jersey and not be identified as, that Christ, as a Seahawks fan anymore. We don't look any different. I don't know what some of you are hearing right now. I would bet that there are some of you that feel like I'm beating you upside the head. Maybe some of you are feeling guilt and shame. But please hear me. It is not my intention to, to give you a guilt trip about your actions or your words or to heap shame upon you because the message of the cross does not include guilt or shame. Like Paul, I am trying to point us back, all of us, myself included, back to what the message of the cross truly is. A message about redemption, about forgiveness, about restoration of relationships, about hope, a message of willing sacrifice for others. Because this this is the message that is about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not dependent on us. A message that should cause us to be and live differently than those who are not in the family of God. A message that will make us look and act foolish sometimes to those around us. And that's what Paul is continuing to point to as we read back, get back into the text. Verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were, you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Those nine simple words sum all of the words that I've already just said up so eloquently, so efficiently. I suppose I could have just 
skipped to that verse and saved us all a bunch of time today. God likes to use the things that the world deems as foolish and as weak. That's not to say that he doesn't use the things that are wise and and strong. He does. But when he uses the least of these, his greatness is put on display, not our own. In the next few lines of of Paul's letter, he, he reminds them that that was how he came to them years before in weakness and humility so that the glory through the power of the Holy Spirit was given to God to show them that what he was presenting them, the message of the cross, truly is the power of God. And he, he wraps that up in a few verses. He says, you know, you got to keep your faith depending, he says, if you keep your faith depending on human wisdom, this is a summary, it's going to disappoint. Because when you do that, when you build your faith on human wisdom, you are always going to end up wanting more. But if we build our faith on the wisdom of God, which seems like foolishness to some sometimes, his wisdom leads to changed lives. His wisdom leads to changed hearts. And it will always leave you fulfilled because it rests on his power. We're going to go towards our time of communion together. If you're just joining us, we take communion every week. It's a privilege for us to be able to celebrate and remember the sacrifice, the willing sacrifice that Jesus Christ made thousands of years ago. If you didn't grab one of these awesome little cups with a styrofoam wafer in it, there's some guys in the back that will help you out. Every week, as we, we do this, is always, we always try to think of ways to segue into communion. But man, all, all I can think is that this is the message of the cross. That Jesus Christ willingly laid down his, his life for us. And we get to remind ourselves of that each and every week when we take this together. We get to proclaim each and every week the message of the cross to those around us and we can take it out and proclaim it to those that are outside this wall. So, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember. And then after the dinner, he took the cup. He blessed it and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember the message of the cross and the power of God together.
Father God, I thank you for the message that you gave to us so long ago through your son, Jesus Christ. That you are a God of restoration, that you are a God of forgiveness, redemption, love and grace and mercy. Lord, that you restore And I know that sometimes as we live those things out, it seems foolish to others because they have not seen or experienced your power. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for those here today, those who are watching online, Lord, that, Lord, that we will learn to be fools for you. Lord, that we will not that we will not pursue the power and the status and the might that our world tells us that we should. Lord, instead that we will pursue you through your spirit and bring your power to a dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.